I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass. Oh, oh, Hello everyone and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly on what has been an absolutely mad week. Joining us to discuss it all firstly uh, is Murray Kinsler of the 42. Murray, how are you? Good Gav, I foolishly thought this was going to be one of those quiet weeks, but I should have learned by now that if you think that, you're going to get stung. So you're right, it's been a mad one. How are you? I'm similar, yeah, I'm good, but it has been absolutely insane. We have a load to get into. Bernard Jackman joins us also. Bert, we're naturally going to chat about the saga involving Munster down in South Africa. Look back on the impressive victories for Ulster and Connacht last weekend. Look ahead to the weekend coming as well. But to start with, there have been some suggestions or murmurs or rumours that Cardiff haven't been able to depart from South Africa today as had been scheduled. Have you heard anything on that front or can you update us? Am I landing you in the shit basically by asking you this 50 seconds into a podcast? <laughs> no. Well, look, it's just, this is uh, alleged. Um, allegedly, what happened was that Cardiff thought they were getting out this morning. The guys who had passed their PCR test, um, and there was some kind of a call at the airport or on the way to the airport um, from from officials, uh, potentially the Welsh government, um, to say that they shouldn't travel and 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 they're now gone back to the hotel, um, and maybe that's what led to Matthew Morgan's. Um, outburst on Twitter which has been doing the rounds which has obviously been deleted by him um, but yeah I think uh, I think there's a lot of frustration there that they can't come home there's also there's been big frustration by the Cardiff um, uh, players and, and officials that they can't quarantine or couldn't quarantine in Wales um, there was no hotel equipped to allow them to quarantine there so they were actually on the way to the airport to fly to uh, to Dublin to London and then um uh, and then quarantine in hotel in in England, um, but for whatever reason, it looks like they're they're now stuck there um, for for a little bit longer. So they've they've accepted that those players won't play against Toulouse um, uh, next weekend. But by all accounts, the ERC did offer a twenty eight nil loss. Um, but as far as I understand, it's a sellout. Um, there's been extra seating brought in. Um, guys like Seb Davies, Ellis Jenkins, James Bowden, Josh Adams, Willis Halolo, uh, Thomas Williams, uh, Ollie Robinson, Jason Tovey are in Wales and they would have a decent academy. They'd certainly have a, a very strong allegiance with Cardiff RFC um, who play in the Welsh Premiership. So um, they can put out a team and uh, by all accounts, that's the, that's the plan is to fulfil that fixture as best they can and, and get some revenue back in. I mean, Let's not forget, you know, these teams have been playing, um, you know, in empty stadiums, and, and to have a sellout in Cardiff Arms Park is, is huge. So, it's it's far from ideal, but I suppose they're trying to keep the the show. Yeah, the road. and I suppose the show is just about by the skin of all of our teeth on the road, Murray, for Munster as well. We'll get to them in a moment, but I don't know. Looking at some of the reaction to all of this, to to all of the teams that kind of got caught down in South Africa. And some of that reaction, I think, has actually been unfair to South Africa, which in some quarters is being depicted as like this 
you know, pit of COVID at this point. And, and that perception as well is accentuated by the fact that teams couldn't leave. Like, if you weren't concentrating, it might seem as though South Africa aren't leaving these teams leave. No, it was the national governments of these teams, right? And, like, if we're going to play the blame game, which we're not going to do on this podcast, but if you're going to blame anyone or anything, let's just stick with blaming COVID for all of this, right? You know, it's not the URC's fault. It's not South Africa's fault. Like, it's the virus's fault. Like, um, It's been a, a ramshackle shit show, but of nobody's direct fault. You know what I mean? And... Uh, and it's difficult for people involved in that, fans, doubtless players who were down there or who are still down there, because you don't have anybody to point the finger at, or if you're pointing the finger at somebody, you're probably pointing the finger at the wrong person. Yeah, well said, Gaff. Well said. As far as I understand, the South African authorities on that end have been unbelievable, certainly with Munster. I know that for a fact, as have the URC, um, and they, like, they've thanked them openly, and, and that help has been massively appreciated. Yeah, like I saw the Matthew Morgan tweet, obviously, him deleting it, probably says it all if you're deleting tweets you know you've made a mistake you can obviously understand to a degree the frustration and the anger probably if you know what Bern is talking about there is true another another delay to, to them getting home and it's happened to him twice already before this where they've been on the way to the airport and, and had to turn around and obviously he's got family at home you're thinking about Christmas being really soon you're thinking about your quarantine on the other side of of getting home as well so yeah it's stressful but as you say, like, let's blame COVID. There's people outside the road be going through this all the time as well and, and not getting any help from governments either. So uh, this is a reality of the world. I know there's going to be lots of people saying, why the hell are, are South Africa involved in this competition? But certainly I wouldn't be putting it on that. I have to say I was excited about these fixtures. Even I just saw the Sharks team that they named for playing the Bulls this weekend and you look at it with their box back and you go, this is going to be class whenever we can get these games played in a, in a more normal world um yeah you're taking a risk i suppose by traveling in, in covid times but the advice had been that it was it was good to go and this kind of freak circumstances with the omicron variant uh, happening now has been far from ideal so yeah there's going to be frustration from all quarters it's tough times for everyone munster are back now the large part of their party back in ireland and into their mandatory self-isolation scarlets are still in belfast they're not able to train at all they're stuck in their hotel Zebra are in Italy, and I, as far as I know, they've got a little bit of a looser arrangement there. Um, but Cardiff are the last ones, and hopefully they can get out soon. Um, a, another part of it is that I think people are uh, kind of looking at the media coverage and going, oh, you're hyping this variant out of all proportion. But I think most of the reporting, certainly from our point of view, is just it is a disruption on the rugby front, and there are stresses on people, as there are outside of rugby as well. So you've got to report, I suppose, faction and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, Bernard, from Monster's point of view, I think listeners at home can take for granted that our thoughts are naturally with the lads who were stuck behind to begin with. <sighs> Looking ahead to the coming weeks, it looks as though they're, I mean, we know they're going to try and field a team against Wasps. It looks as though they're going to try and involve some of the guys who have just about made it back from South Africa in that game. Training-wise, preparation-wise, everything out the window right like so how possible is this to your mind have you been talking to other coaches about this because it feels like it's mission impossible and yet they're going to try and pull it off yeah look at uh, i think what you need to try and do is have the core of your group so if, if it's a 23-man match squad you know you'd like to have 17 or 18 who are training and you're only filling the gaps then for where you really need cover like specialist front row um you know maybe a, a specialist nine or ten you know you're trying not to involve anyone who's been through what the lads have been through and and, and obviously you're gonna to have to go through now in terms of home 
isolation, etc. So, um, and limit the risk. That's the big thing. I mean, you know, we had a bit of a chat uh, during the week around what is the risk. I mean, uh, to be honest, I don't know because I've never been in a situation where someone, um, you know, has not been allowed to take part in any contact training or has had you know a, a return to play protocol as such which which this will be which will be not any like anything we'd ever prescribe for somebody coming back from a um coming back to play or coming to play a match so it's very weird you know the science or the how would you say the uh, obvious thing to, th- to expect is that it, it increases injury risk um and i think that would be that would play a factor in in terms of selections for for this week it's to be able to play it, it's going to be a balancing act between being able to uh, do justice and not uh, risk the players who've obviously been quarantining but also not risk some young player who maybe isn't ready to play a game of that of that magnitude even off the bench because when you put someone on the bench um you know after five minutes it could be on so that's the that's the, I'm, I'm really talking for front row i'm not talking about anything else uh when i'm, when I'm talking about risk but you know, I'd rather have a guy who's who's played 40, 50 professional games who maybe hasn't had the ideal prep um, available than, you know, a 19-year-old title prop at the academy um, who has never played, you know, senior rugby. That that that's kind of uh, my only con- my only concern, and I think that would be in the, the in the minds of Ian Costello and and Johan Van Gran, um, who you know will will be picking the team this week. Next if week. the guys who have just made it back as we know, can't train with the guys who have remained in Limerick. So you've got your cohort of international uh, players and academy players training under Ian Costello. The guys who are isolating are obviously isolating by definition. How does that work? How do you conjoin the two during the week from a coach's point of view? Yeah, I think it's... Uh, look, they'll be using video technology. So, you know, they'll they'll pick their menu. Um, you know, that'll be videoed from whatever, three different angles. Uh, certainly, they can do webinars and uh, and teams calls um, together. You know, to so basically, rather than having the the, the group who are playing or the group who are available to train in a video room uh, in 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 UL, you know, make that a, a virtual session so everybody's on on top of it, everyone's up to speed. Um, but I do think it, it it's keeping it very as narrow as possible, as narrow as possible, so that if there is people who are players who come in late next Friday, next Saturday, um, they're up to speed, but understanding that they won't have had reps. Um, so you, you don't want to, you don't want to give them too much information when a lot of people learn by, by doing rather than just visually. So, um, you're trying to understand that as well. Murray, it is all kind of risk assessment, isn't it? And an absolute catch 22 for the coaches involved where on the one hand, you are trying to protect some of your younger players so that they, don't get injured or that you don't damage their development anyway in any way if you put them in at the deep end too soon on the other hand if you play senior players who haven't say done any kind of collision training or, or contact training in recent weeks and you injure if sorry not that you would directly injure them but if they got injured in that game you're potentially risking the rest of your season conceivably so um I don't know, would they have been better off just taking a 28-0 defeat and trying to work from there? Or do you think they have to go and play no. this game? <laughs> no. I know. I know. I'm going for an early prediction here. I, I, I actually, I think Munster could win this game. And I know that might sound a bit mad after all they've been through. I really can't imagine it happening. This backs against the wall, typical kind of Munster trope. And, and like, there's real quality there at home training way in Limerick. Your, your captain, Peter O'Mahony is there, Connor Murray, Carberry, Conway, 
Kilcoyne, Byrne, Damien Dialende. Like, they're obviously world-class players. They're all top of the game. And, like, with the younger guys, obviously, as Birch mentions, the front row is a key one. Tight heads, obviously, I think there's going to be something that needs to happen there. The guys returning home we're gonna are going to have to pitch up there because it's such a, a massive spot. But but for the rest of it, like, what an unbelievable opportunity for any of those younger academy guys that, that get their chance. They definitely will tell you they're ready and there's no risk with it. Uh, these are the opportunities that people just cry out for. And you can imagine someone, like, really making a name for themselves. You just don't get this kind of exposure. You don't get this kind of opportunity ever. So there's excitement in that. Like, not to make a light of the situation in any way, but in pure rugby terms... I'm incredibly excited about Munster and the possible team they could they could put out with, with some of those younger players featuring. And I, yeah, I really can imagine them winning. I can imagine them going over. Wasps haven't been in incredibly good form. Obviously, Ian Costello knows Wasps extremely well, having been an assistant coach there very recently, and he'll have them well prepped, and he's a, a really highly rated coach. So yeah, needs must. They absolutely sh- should go and have a, a proper crack off this Um and then you've got guys returning for for the home cast game where you're obviously going to get that financial boost of a big crowd as well. So like it could work out okay in, in the end. And I, I'm not trying to make light of how tough it is and how challenging it is. And certainly there could be disruption here. And it's so frustrating for coaches when you have all these plans and development plans and, and things change. But like academy guys want to play rugby and this is hopefully a chance for some of them to play some really top good rugby and, and make a name for themselves. Birch, I was being facetious when I was asking, should they just take the L and walk away? But is it an expectation? You always have to do that, Gav, in your, in your role. You always have to be like the, the devil's advocate. I know, but I just know I I'll get... I know I'll, I Usually I won't even explain it afterwards, but I just know I'll get emails this time around, so... I'm, I'm putting it's it a Bill O'Hurley hero. Mm, yeah, yeah. Except I'm uh, not pretending to be stupid. But, uh, Birch, is it a realistic expectation... I suppose on our behalf, on behalf of Munster fans, Irish rugby fans, for for Munster to go over there in these circumstances and win the game, uh, do does Wasps poor enough form? They're ninth in the Premiership, and I suppose some of their own injury troubles make that a possibility. Whereas previously it might not. Yeah, have. I, I agree, Murray. I think Munster can can go and win. Um, there's enough. There's enough there, and you're going to get players. Um, it's it's going to be a completely different mindset for Munster. Uh, building up to this game that is for Wasps. All the pressure's on Wasps now. I mean, and, and that sometimes can, uh, and certainly if you if their confidence isn't great, it can, you know, affect, it'll affect them because if they lose this game, um, you know, it's an absolute disaster for them. So Munster have got nothing to lose and in these kind of situations, historically, Munster have always risen. And, and the big thing is, there's a good bunch of older um experienced players um who can nurture those those youngsters and and in fairness i know that munster academy has been much maligned over the years but i actually do think that this is the richest crop they've had for uh, now some of them are obviously in, uh, unavailable but um this is the richest crop they've had for a long time and um you know, lads have been playing AIL. It's just like, as Murray said, it's what dreams are made of. You'll have one chance in your life maybe to, to play Champions Cup for Munster. Um, and I'm excited to see, you know, what, what these Could lads bring. be a career maker for some of these young guys, Murray. I know you've alluded to the same, but like, I'm just thinking a little bit of cross-pollination, but just because the clip was in my head, uh, Man United are playing Arsenal tonight and the clip was circulating of, I think it was Marcus Rashford's Premier League debut United were just down to the bare bones and Rashford came in as a 17-year-old, scored two goals and hasn't looked back since and really became a senior fixture in the squad. And you produce a really strong performance in the Champions Cup game, 
maybe you're raising your head a little bit even further above the parapet than the coaches might have seen previously. 100%. Look, maybe someone like Daniel Okeke, who, you know, when you're making your possible 15s, he's at home and has been training with them. Someone like Scott Buckley, the hooker, Patrick Campbell, even the fullback, because Munster might be short in, in the back three. Um, it may be a, just a handful of them in the end, but absolutely a chance to go and, and make a name for yourself in a big televised match and, and everyone watching. So that side of it definitely excites me. Meanwhile, Munster are, they have been looking and talking to EBCR about potentially registering any kind of loan players or short-term signings like that. It seems there's not much wiggle room really there because EPCR may have to change the entire rule and regulation system for for every club. Um, so you're kind of dealing with what you've got there. I think there probably will be some understanding around registering additional players. Coming into the tournament, you were allowed to register as many as you, as you wanted. And I think actually Cardiff have a fair few registered, which may be of, of benefit to them. And hopefully there'll be understanding from other clubs um, just in terms of allowing those academy guys, even guys who are actually Munster players, to, to get registered into European squad and, and get the game away. Because everyone wants to see the games go. As you mentioned, 28-0 and, and five points is a possibility if it's forfeited. But that ruined things really last year at times, didn't it? It just makes everything, just in terms of integrity, questionable and, and it ruins the competition. There's obviously a push now from Scarlets to get the game, their game postponed because they don't, as we, as we understand, have enough numbers outside of what is in quarantine at the moment. I think they're talking to Ospreys even and the other Welsh regions about loaning, but they're looking for a postponement. But again, EPCR, I think, are very reluctant to do that because there simply really isn't another window. You know, people are saying do it during the Six Nations, but you can't have leading European club rugby fixtures at the same time as Six Nations games because obviously the internationals are away. So there's a real squeeze here. Um, and the best outcome is a little bit of flexibility around that registration, I think. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a very, very interesting couple of European weekends off the back of all of this. It certainly is. And our best wishes to anybody still in South Africa, part of that Monster squad who might be tuning in. We'll see you soon, no doubt. Uh, Bernard, you were understandably doubtful that Ulster could beat Leinster at the RDS at the weekend when we were speaking to you on Thursday. We've seen them come close a couple of times in recent years, but... Leinster have always had just enough or done just enough to prevent it from happening. How did Ulster go about it? And when you saw, say, how the first half played out, for example, did it become a lot more tangible in your head, this prospect of Ulster actually winning the game? Like, did it change your mind? Yeah, I, I, I thought, um, I think from a coaching point of view or from a tactical point of view, um, it is it is the way to beat Leinster. Um, now, you know, not every team could go there and, and beat Leinster. And obviously... You know the counter argument is Leinster were, you know, match shy. Um, you know they're Irish internationals, bar Tig, um, and Robbie. Tig Robbie only came back for the last game against Argentina, but that they obviously had a, a lot of players rested. You know, two international hookers rested, etc., etc. Um, so yeah, it's not Leinster's best team, but I still believe that is the way to play against them. And um, I think a lot of coaches, particularly the Welsh, the Welsh when they come here. Come to Ireland, um, it's nearly a foregone conclusion. Um, I know Ospreys beat Leinster, but uh, last season, but in in general, they they implement the same type of game plan that they they do every week. And I think you need to have flexibility because you can't play um, Leinster at their own game. And I think while people saw, if you look back at the Ulster tactics, you would say, oh, pretty negative, pretty narrow. Um, you know, wasn't really weren't really getting to wit until they really shortened the defensive line. But I think that is the way to play them, and I think you also have to be really patient in your in your kicking game. And I thought Cooney, 
Cooney coming in was was really good at that. Um, and Leinster made a few errors in the backfield, um, which gave Ulster field position. Their line out functioned. Leinster's didn't. So Leinster's line out uh, is usually a key starter for them in terms of getting go forward. And while they didn't lose many balls, their delivery was terrible, and that gave Ulster a chance to to survive and get the ball back. So Leinster ne- didn't really get on the front foot as often as they as they normally do. So um, I think Dan, in fairness to him, it's a little bit similar to what they tried um, in the Viva in the in the was it the semi final quarter quarter final in Europe where Ross Byrne got a, a kick late to win it. Stockdale dropped the ball over the line. Um, and in fairness, they did it without some of their some of their heavy hitters. You know, no Henderson. Um, you know, no Balatloon. Um, you know, no Vermeulen, uh, etc. So, I think um, I think it's a big win for Ulster. And I think, and I said it against Ed on Monday night. Like when Leo criticised Van Gran back in the Viva about how Munster played, I I I was like, right, there's something more to that. And then you look at what Saracens how Saracens play not La Rochelle because La Rochelle had different skill sets but I think that the Dragons game where Dragons just stayed really patient and kicked tennis um, and were quite good at the breakdown if you look at Dragons strengths with, with likes of Griffiths and Tame Basham they have a lot of jacklers um, and that's the, you know that's the area that you need to target Leinster is the breakdown we saw Ulster took won seven penalties at the breakdown um, on, on, on Friday night so you can't just kick box kicks you have to basically find other areas where you can get after them and I would say what Ulster, Ulster did was they got after Leinster to break down and they disrupted their line out ball and they played um, contestable kick and kept Leinster in the corner and also attack wise they just played front door and narrow for the majority of the game so Leinster didn't get those big hits that energy to get from catching behind the gain line so really smart Um Plus, obviously, the emotion of of being backs to the wall, having lost to Connacht. Um, it's an Irish derby, and yeah, it, it worked out okay. And they still only barely won. You know what I mean? It could have been a, they could have lost. Um, so that like it's not as if Leinster are broken or Leinster won't fix it. But I, I thought it was a uh, it was very interesting how they approached the game. What will Leo Cullen's biggest concern be, Murray? Looking at it, probably how Leinster couldn't manage to find a way around that game plan that. Bernard is brilliantly described there from from Ulster. Um, they had to play from a little bit deeper. And in fairness, they still did produce a few opportunities. They had more line breaks. I think it was four or five in the end. But then there was a real lack of uh, flow to their attack off the, off the back of that. Uncharacteristics that you wouldn't associate, errors that you wouldn't associate with them. Um, and he referenced a lack of cohesion and, and trying to find that. And it's obviously an easy one to go to, but it did feel certainly like that, which is so rare from them players not being on the same page guys getting isolated in a carry and allowing Ulster just that sniff at the breakdown um and yeah just just not being given the opportunities that other teams do give them there was one like that happened in the game where Ulster probably didn't have the patience in their kick game where Michael Lowry feels in the backfield he has a chance to kick back at Leinster in in that kick battle but he decides to to counterattack and you don't want to take that instinct away from players but he hits I think Ethan McElroy they get turned over at a breakdown over there near the right hand touchline Scott Penny charges up into the 22 Leinster win a penalty and they score through Robbie Henshaw on the next attack and and that probably summed up how Leinster can make you pay and and punish you if if you don't have that discipline in your game plan Larry came off immediately after that actually he got substituted uh, maybe it was unrelated but um, didn't feel that way anyway so 
yeah, Ulster did a brilliant job of limiting how other teams give them in access into the game. And and, and Leinster were, were just poor. I can't put my finger on exactly why. There was poor individual errors. There was um, that lack of cohesion and, and a little bit of sloppiness there. They weren't a million miles off. They did loads of good things as well. And as Bert says, it, it wasn't far away. But yeah, they've probably had a tough week of, of reflection. And they've named, obviously, an extremely strong team we've just seen there for the Connacht game. Interesting to see Harry Byrne getting his go at 10 after uh, a bad outing off the bench the last day when he was obviously trying to make things happen and, and had a number of errors like others did in, in the game as well. But I'd be shocked if, if there's not a big Leinster response from this. And I also think there's, a, again, value in them losing in this circumstances. As Birch says, it, there's kind of a, te- a theme and a trend now. And for Lancaster and Cullen, it, it's beneficial in being you know, having your eyes opened to that fact and having have having to have different ways of, of winning as well. Mm, it's interesting. We have an email here, actually, I'll throw it to yourself, Bernard. It's from Kieran Pearson about the officiating in this very game. And Kieran was wondering about, uh, pardon me, some of Frank Murphy's refereeing. Uh, just to say, he says, this isn't a takeaway from Ulster's win, which was fully deserved. I don't recall Murphy having ever gone to the TMO once during the game and he was even challenging players who were asking for some things to be checked. At one point, he said to a Leinster player something along the lines of, if you want to watch it on a screen, go home and watch it on the telly. On the telly uh, we make decisions on the field. While a lot of people may applaud this approach in terms of keeping the game going, which is a fair point, uh, I can't help but feel that there were elements of the game that were overlooked due to not referring to the TMO. Some examples of this would be when we had uh, both blindside players out for HIA at the same time. You would wonder as to whether there was anything in that stage of play to make sure all was on the up and up uh, then there was the two instances with craig gilroy and whether he challenged his line and impeded a near certain try from frawley and also whether he took out mcgrath off the ball the commentary team seemed confused as to why these instances weren't checked and that one or both could have merited a yellow card both of those instances could have changed big parts of the game it seems so was murphy right in his approach to let the game flow as he did and could it be detrimental if there are more games when there are elements not being checked sorry for the long-winded question never apologize for long-winded questions we love those on this podcast but what do you reckon birch yeah very good email um highlighted some some interesting uh questions uh, i think look at uh, there's definitely a push for referees not to go to the tmo um and I think it's it's obviously a difficult one to, to get right live, you know. Um, and you know the, the smart ass comment back to the player. Look at it. It depends on who the player was, and if if Frank is getting a lot of questions um, around, ask him to go to TMO. I can understand why he reacted like that, but it doesn't build doesn't build that trust and and uh, relationship uh, back to the players um, when you make comments like that. So you better be right more than often than you're not. Um, I, I think in a, in a, a match that's that tight, you need to be really sure. And I, I think he probably trusts... I don't know who... I can't remember who the TMO was, but I'd like to hope that Frank had said to him beforehand, look, I'm, I'm going to trust you to be my my eyes. And if there's something that needs to be looked at, you come in. Um, and like, let's be honest, like Frank won't be here in the commentary uh, team. So he really is reliant on his on his team. Um, so, yeah, I thought, I thought breakdown-wise, you know, he's certainly... There's certainly an argument that some of the Ulster turnovers were were illegal whether through you know not supporting their own body weight or um hands on the ground first etc but listen most jackals are marginal anyway you don't have time um to get in the perfect position all the time or or to stay supporting your own body weight um and it was obvious he was 
giving uh, advantage to the team, uh, to the defensive team more so than the attacking team. There was very little time to, to deal with the threat. So I, I, I admire Ulster for whether that was something that they picked up pre-match um, and and played to that trend or for whatever reason, um, uh, Frank on the night was, was very lenient towards the, the jackler. They adapted to that and, 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 it, and it paid off. So I think from Leinster's point of view, I mean, regardless of the exact or the cleanness or, or the legality of the jackler, Leinster were late. Leinster were late all the time. And, um, uh, you know, they say with the breakdown, it's 60-20-20, 60% ball carry, uh, 20% ball presentation, 20% clear out. Um, they weren't getting the 60-20 right to, to, to give the, the, the last guy the chance. I mean, uh, if you look at Ireland's breakdown in the, six, in the November, the ball carry and the presentation are top class. So it's making this easier for the for the clean out. So um I think Leinster will Leinster are usually unbelievably efficient at the breakdown and Leo and, and Stuart will have, you know, fifteen, sixteen clips um that would be horrible to watch from a Leinster point of view and uh, you know I'd be disappointed or uh, um and shocked if if that's not rectified. Just on the email Gav um and the two incidents that Kieran refers to I think certainly in, in the first one where, where Frawley chips over Gilroy, you can actually hear Frank Murphy saying, Leo, check it for me live. It's okay. He, he just, he's standing his ground. Obviously, Luke, um, Craig Gilroy can't just disappear and Frawley runs into him. Now, maybe he could have made more of an effort, but he's also got to protect himself because Frawley's coming at him at a high speed. And so there you've got a decision on the fly from the referee and then you've got the TMO checking it. I I think that's a really good process right there. No stoppage of the game. They're both happy with it. Get on with it. The Gilroy one, I think, is where he sh- shoves Luke McGrath when he's escorting, and they they get a penalty for it, as as far as I can remember. Um, and again, I think there was a, a work between the the team of four. There certainly the assistant referee was involved. And again, that's a really good process, in my opinion. I think you're not slowing down, stopping the game because it was a bitty. Like it was no classic in terms of watchability, the, the game. And if you've got a few more TMO referrals there, I think we're possibly all talking about what a boring, dull, slow game. <clears throat> um, I actually don't really mind the comment to the players either. I know, Birch, that you've been consistent on that message about building the rapport as well. But like players can't be appealing for everything as well. And I think that's been more and more prominent in the game. <clears throat> like obviously you want a, a good relationship there, but you could hear them kind of sniping at everything and, and I think across the game not just in this particular fixture but there is a lot of appealing for, for decisions now and I understand the importance of decisions and I understand that referees don't get everything right but they just are never going to get everything right as you say with the breakdown it's so fluid there's so much going on there was a number of Leinster ones as well I think the Ross Maloney one where Dan Levy doesn't roll out of there but there's so much going on that close to the try line it's very hard to to nail all those decisions so yeah, yeah I, I didn't didn't come away from this game thinking uh, the referees had a, a massive impact on the decision making or, or rather the result um, and actually I thought some of the process around those decisions was, was pretty good we'll speak about Leinster and Connacht in a moment but firstly Birch Ulster away to the Ospreys this weekend and the Ospreys because of what Connacht did to them will be looking for a reaction will they get it or I suppose will they get it to the extent that they're capable of beating um, Ulster yeah, look, that was an uncharacteristically bad um, performance by by Ospreys. I think they are building nicely under Toby Booth. He he would have been so frustrated with with what they put out on uh, in Galway on Friday night. It doesn't reflect well on on what they're about. Um, they should have some Welsh internationals, I'd imagine, to to come back in. Um, and yeah, I'd expect a big big reaction for them. They they are a team who who do set up. They they, they have their strengths, um, but they're very much. 
aware of what they don't can't do well. So they can be quite difficult to play against. And um, as we saw in the Munster game, uh, the you know pre pre November. And yeah, I would I'd be shocked. Uh, and this that's not a gimme for Ulster. Ulster will obviously go there buoyed in confidence. Um, but I, I would expect a big big turnaround from Ospreys, and they are a tricky team to play against. It actually has the makings of a class game, Murray. I think this one, like obviously the Ospreys will be wounded animals, and Ulster going in after one of their most significant victories in recent years. So two teams for very different reasons should be on it. And on paper, like there isn't a, a great deal to separate them at all. So if it could be just a, a classic kind of 50-50. Yeah, Ospreys are kind of in the situation Ulster were last week where they just didn't play to their potential at all against a, a much better Connacht team who makes life so difficult for you. Like that was just a thrill to watch last weekend. And we'll probably come to Connacht and, and their quality. But just on the Ospreys, definitely like some of the defensive effort and just one-on-one tackling was was jarringly bad I thought it you know they're just better than that um, the conditions maybe affected them more they certainly didn't affect Connacht in any way and I just really look forward to seeing how Ulster backed that up there was some bounce off them after the match last weekend the the positivity exuberance of guys like James Hume who just strike you with the, the confidence they have and the belief levels and, and wanting to play for Ireland and, and put their hands up Nick Timoney doing the same Marcus Ray off the bench that's a real thrill for, for Ulster fans to see. It's a pity Dwayne Vermeulen won't be involved due to his COVID case, but they'll get him up and running soon. And and yeah, it will be great for Ulster to to kick on from here because aside from that, obviously, big Connacht setback, they, they've they made a good, strong start to the season. And we we definitely had doubts about them last weekend. I, I remember I, speaking to everyone before the game, There was I think it was a 15-point margin maybe in, in some quarters towards Leinster obviously and you're thinking oh that actually may be justified this is a real big uh, question mark over Ulster now and whether they can kick on this season and, and we got a good response so they need to to progress and accelerate from there Birch we'll chat about Connacht now and in doing so look ahead to this game with Leinster but I suppose to go back seven days you and I of our own volition just decided to make it a make or break game for Connacht we were like no they have to win or it's all over <laughs> and in fairness we were probably a little bit sceptical as to whether or not they would or like you know you always know a conic that they can or they could but it's whether or not they actually do it on the day and and they were absolutely superb so they're going into this Leinster game now with the pep in their step and yet similarly to what we were saying about Ulster just there um, previously Leinster are going to be looking to produce something a little bit special you'd imagine because of what happened to them last weekend and last time they were in this situation I think in Galway they did yeah, obviously Connacht beat Leinster in the RDS last year as well, and um, yeah, and also the fact that Ulster won. You know, I, I, if you're Andy Friend last week, you're saying right, we beat the Ospreys, Leinster beat Ulster. You know, we both we both on sixteen points. Ulster just nudged away from them again now, so they don't want to be left uh, detached. It's um, it's an absolute, uh, it's a, it, it's a big big game for for both teams. I think Connacht and Fairness have a bit of a freebie. Um, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world. Um, if they if they don't win, um, but they'll still want to put in another really impressive performance. So they were very good against Munster and Thomond Park. Didn't get the win. You know. Um, Bounced back from that uh, against Ulster in, in in the Viva. We're good against the Ospreys. We're actually excellent against the Ospreys. And now, you know, if they can go four games on the bounce, being consistent, playing their game, um, you know, they're going to get so much confidence from that. Uh, and you know, obviously, the win would be brilliant. But it's just hard to see how Leinster would would not perform again. Um, 
but yeah, Connacht are. I think they're, they're actually quite mature at the moment, and they understand they understand the fights they need to win, and 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 um, I, I think they'll go there with, as I said, with with liberty and um, freedom to go and play. And when they play, they're dangerous. So it's a, I don't think they'll go in. I don't think they'll copy Dan's Dan's game plan. I don't think they'll be as uh, as ambitious as as they wore a ball in hand against the Ospreys. But like to be honest. Um, the Ospreys' defense was was poor, as Murray said, but also they're playing into a into a big wind and up the hill. So you know we saw Jack Carty trying to kick, and um, there was no point. So they they really had no choice but to play all out uh, possession that first half. Um, against the, in the RDS, it'll be a little bit different. So they're probably more balanced to their game, but. I I just can't wait to see how Andy Friend sets him up. To be honest, so Pete Wilkins, yeah, like Pete Wilkins deserves a lot of credit as well. He is the effectively the head coach, and he he orchestrates their um, their attack and their, uh, and their defense really in terms of holding the whole thing together. So he has done a great job um, this year because what we're seeing from the team is uh, is really impressive in terms of their skill set, but also their understanding of how to make space. Murray. It must be amazing to go to the RDS with a feeling of freedom, but with a feeling of freedom bolstered by the fact that you've actually won there very recently. Absolutely. And and they set out a nice blueprint for themselves there with a ferocious defensive effort back early January, wasn't it, this year? You can remember a couple of intercepts in that game. And also Jack Cardi's kicking was incredibly influential. It was a very inexperienced Leinster back three in particular that day. Uh, and and Cardi had a field day he found so much grass he kept finding space in the backfield Leinster kept having to turn and it's a very very different Leinster team again people can have a, a check of it if they haven't seen it but even in the back three you've got Larmer, Keenan, Lowe your centres are Ringrose and Henshaw and Luke McGrath captains the team the, the pack is really explosive Ireland International is returning players are the quality of, of Kieran Frodi not even in the, the match day squad so very different challenge in that sense, but absolutely it helps that, that Connacht have, have had that result. And they've generally turned up quite quite well in the, in the Interpros recently, and, and they find that that pitch and, and that, again, maybe the, the pressure isn't always on them and, and, it, and it suits them. I do hope we see some more of that attack. As Bert said, like the conditions were crazy. That one Gary Owen that he hung up and it blew backwards behind him was just a brilliant sports ground moment. Um, so hopefully conditions will be a bit better. I, I loved uh, Mac Hansen's comments afterwards about freezing his balls off and then telling Andy Friend that he thought the match was going to be called off during it because he hadn't hit played in those kind of conditions. So hopefully it'll be a, be a bit nicer. And hopefully we see some of that. Like, thrilling attack at times everyone playing at you know the halfback at times when Marmion sniped because he was a threat himself then you've got one of the forwards moving the ball keeping the tempo high really accurate breakdown work forwards running really nice tight lines around Jack Carty so that the defence had to stay bunched and narrowed and then they could play out the back the likes of Sammy Ireland and Bolton adding creative touches as well as being powerful carries themselves and someone like Oren McNulty, who starts again at fullback, just buzzing everywhere. I thought he was really impressive and, and has had to wait for his opportunity. So there's lots to, to like about what they're doing. Off the ball work rate as well really stood out to me, particularly watching the game back. The number of instances where players work really hard around the corner and just add a late change of picture for the defend, defenders and, and they can't quite number up as they would have liked to. So there's lots of good stuff happening there. And again, you can sense from the players and, and chatting away to them, the excitement about what Pete Wilkins is doing as, as Bernard mentioned so that's a, a brilliant place for them to be in so this really is shaping up to be a, a, a really interesting battle I do think with Leinster's quality returning quality and, and strength across the board and the wake up they've had it would be surprising to me certainly if they if they didn't come up with a big response and a win in this game Bert call it 
Oh, Leinster for me. And what about Ulster in Swansea? I think Ulster. I think Ulster will sneak a win, but it'll be very tight. Murray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think similar. Just on the sorry, just on the Leinster team, there was one other thing I wanted to flag. I'm really interested to see what happens with with Jordan Larmer now. He's starting on the right wing again, and it's so strange how a guy who was such an integral part of Ireland really kind of under Joe Schmidt, part of that world or the the Grand Slam campaign and coming on in different positions and featuring prominently, and you think this guy is going to be the next Ireland fullback. And then suddenly Hugo Keenan is going to be Ireland's next fullback and he's an incumbent and one of the first choices in Andy Farrell's selection. And Alarm has kind of fallen out of the picture and didn't feature in, in the November series, which is crazy. I think a couple of years ago, you think this guy's a dead set for like a central contract and, and to be one of those stars. So there's a guy who's kind of fallen away as others have, have progressed and or maybe stood still is a, a better description for it and, and a great challenge for him to to push on now um, and that back three with Ireland is going to be so competitive because Conway and Lowe did so well Jacob Stockdale is on a central contract and he's still to return and Hugo Keenan you're, you're just not getting him out of the team at the moment so there's loads of little subplots there mentioned Harry Byrne as well and, and that's a fascinating one again in the Ireland context not to waffle on here too much but it didn't go well for him the last day obviously Ross Byrne obviously has to decide on what he's going to do with his contract expiring at the end of the season and interest from abroad and a guy who definitely with his quality deserves to be a kind of frontline 10 for, for any club or province. But Harry Byrne being the, the one fancied by Ireland's coaching staff to be, um, you know, a, a really important figure over the, the next few years. So there's all those sorts of little kind of subplots to, to it as well. And, and that'll be a really interesting part of this weekend and indeed the European weekends as well. I love how hard it is to wrap this podcast. Uh, but I'm conscious. No, <laughs> I'm just conscious time-wise uh, for Bernard. Have you got five more minutes, Bernard, or do you need to run? Yeah, let's go. Perfect. Uh, so just to pick up on what Murray was saying there about Larmer to begin with, if you're a coach and you're, uh, I guess, if you were to give him a little bit of career advice, like but practical to the actual pitch, what are you saying to him to... It feels unfair to say reignite his career. You know, I, I don't think he's dipped off to that extent, but he definitely needs a rocket under him in some way. Uh, not attitude-wide necessarily, but like something to kind of reproduce what we would have seen of him to begin with, in fairness, back at a time when defenders were a little, a little bit less accustomed to what he was bringing to the table. Yeah, look, I think that's it's rare any top international has you know the perfect career where everything is is rosy and even even Brian O'Driscoll you know had had a time where it wasn't really happening for him Gordon Darcy um you know Gordon Darcy as well and and so the Hugo Keenan story is is phenomenal to go from from nowhere to uh to where he is now but it's still yo he's still early days you know what I mean he may have to adjust his game and, and find a new way of doing things so I, I think what's happened to Jordan is is actually common um more common than it's than it's rare and it's a case of just being in a really good environment where he knows um he's rated and and uh, what's expected of him because he hasn't lost his footwork he just hasn't had maybe the opportunities to um to to, to show it and so i if i if if it's me i'm just trying to get him into a team where he's got you know, good players around. The team are playing well, and we're getting the ball in his hands in in good situations and, and good positions. And I think once you do that often enough, he he will beat people. And I think that's where he'll get um, his confidence back. So I agree with Murray. Yeah, he's going through a, a tricky patch. Um, I still don't know who the backup fifteen is to um, to Hugo. That wasn't clear. So no one else jumped ahead of him in November unless they did it in training. No one did it on the pitch. So um, I can't say for sure. He's he's not second. 
second choice. He's also very versatile, so he can fill other positions. But I just think the most important thing is to him to be in a Leinster team that are, are, are playing really well and getting him the ball in good positions, as I said, and, and he'll find his groove again and, and, and show how good he is. Carberry is the backup 15 for Ireland. I think we've established that. But uh, to ask you then about Harry Byrne, he's been taking a little bit of flack nowhere important really probably in more forums and comment sections and just people people's opinion of his recent performances for Leinster not necessarily meriting his constant inclusion now in Ireland squads maybe that he hasn't actually shown consistently enough the examples of his potential that we all know he has if you know what I mean and that to for Andy Farrell to include him without people seeing that in with regularity feels a little bit tenuous or, or, or a bit of a stretch. Well, what's your interpretation of that before we go? Yeah, I, I, I think that's true. Um, certainly if you're Jack Carty and you and you analyse the the performances this year, you know, there's no comparison. But also I think we have to say that Faz has the uh, licence to be able to do what he wants. And, and, you know, I was talking to Murray on, on, on during the week about an interview with, with Cheka and Eddie Jones and, um, Eddie Jones spoke about seeing Marcus Smith as a 15-year-old. When Brighton, when South Africa got beaten by Japan in Brighton in 2015, someone said to him, oh, there's a kid playing down the road in a schools game, and he went and watched it. So from that, and, and yet, so in his mind then, he saw Marcus Smith, and he was like, right, if I'm still coaching England in 2022, which probably wasn't likely or 2021, um, he may be someone that I need. And an and actual fact, if you if you listen to the narrative in England, Eddie Jones was too slow to bring Marcus Smith in, um, and yet you know that that little story, you know, for me it, re- it reinforced that he knew all about him. He was aware of his brilliance, but he was waiting for the right time and obviously the right mix between Farrell, Ford, etc. So, you know, I think for a ten, given the fact that we all crib and cry about a lack of a clear succession plan, um, Farrell has to be able to make that call. Um, and back his judgment or back his intuition to a certain extent and it, it, it's not what we see this season we haven't seen this season for different reasons but we did see glimpses last year um, we know about his reputation in school we saw him in under 20s he has got something um, so I can understand why Farrell is is maybe jumping the gun a little bit and making him not earn his right but now he's playing tomorrow night he, you know when he starts a match for Leinster um, you need to be you need to be uh, on the money, and it was difficult. I can understand why it was hard from last weekend, coming off the bench, coming out of international camp, and not having been with the team, etc. But this week he's been quarterback all week. He has to perform to a certain extent, um, or else you know that that credit that credit in the bank that Farrell has given him runs out pretty quick. So I, I I totally understand why he's in there, but the more games he plays, the more you're going to have to perform. Gents, pleasure as always. Thank you, Murray. Thanks for being so facetious, Gav. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Birch. Thanks to everybody at home. Uh, members, not the 42.e if you want to listen to Murray, Own Toolin, and sometimes these days, very impressive guests on Monday. They'll be back then. We'll be back in the regular slot next Thursday. So until then, enjoy all the rugby over the weekend. Mind yourselves and take it easy. <laughs>